All right, so good. All right, we are blessed today. I'm going to introduce our guest speaker for today, Ed Stetzer, that we'll welcome up in just a moment. Uh, but I'm excited that we have the opportunity to hear from him today. Uh, Ed has come, uh, he's been at Wheaton College serving as a professor, a dean, as the executive director of the Billy Graham Center there at Wheaton. Ed's done a lot of things, uh, and he is coming out here to uh, Southern California, moving to Southern California, uh, to be able to be the Dean of Talbot School of Theology, which is at Biola University, which most of our staff went to, and a lot of people here, and that's where I went to seminary, and just super grateful uh, for his leadership there. One thing also, though, that I uh, just really appreciate about Ed is that Ed is a constant voice of a gracious and winsome conviction about all of these issues that kind of Christianity relating with culture. And uh, I really appreciate the way that he represents Christ in that. So we have the privilege to hear from him about that very thing today. So let's give a warm, warm welcome to Ed Stetzer. Well... It's good to be here. I've heard about your church for, for many years, and it's an honor and a privilege to be able to uh, share God's Word with you today. Um, so I've, uh, I, I'm supposed to be the incoming dean at the Talbot School of Theology, and I'm supposed to start July 1, so I'm here uh, trying to, to buy a house, and somebody should talk to you people about your houses. Um, <laughs> it's a little different than the rest of the country, so we have been spending the weekend, uh, so we, we are still trying to work that out, and so, but uh, hopefully soon. We'll be relocating to uh, Southern California, hopefully in July. We'll see. But it's good to be here and to talk through a passage of Scripture that's become near and dear to me. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. If you have a Bible, you can take it out and follow along or, or turn one on if you'd like to. But if you're using one of the Bibles that are in the seats, you can follow along with me. It's on page 696, page 696. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. So we're going to read that in just a moment, but I want to talk to you about the moment we're in and remind you that the moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on. It's a challenging time. It's often a divided time in our culture, but Jesus has sent us on a mission for his name's sake to make his name and his fame more widely known. So the question is, how do we walk that path together as followers of Jesus? How do we join Jesus on mission in the midst of this tumultuous and turbulent time, how do we remind ourselves that the moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on? Paul's writing this letter to the church at Corinth. It's one of two that we have, uh, four probably that he wrote because there's references to other letters in those letters, but two contained in God's inerrant word. And in this second letter, he's rebuking or admonishing the people of God at Corinth, that they have not represented Jesus and his kingdom well. He's admonishing them and directing them for a new way, a better way. And I think it's a good reminder for us in 2023 how we might live for Jesus, representing him and his kingdom well in the world in which we live. I think what I'll do for the sake of time is I'll read the passage as I walk through the passage. We're going to look at four specific things in the passage. We'll go through them one at a time. I'll read the verse as we get there. If you're a note taker, it's a pretty easy outline to follow along with. Number one on our outline is this. We get a new perspective. Because I'm convinced a new view of things through a gospel lens will change the way we engage the world around us. 
Let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. It says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 is kind of a favorite to a lot of Christians. Right? Some of us have it memorized in a, maybe an older translation. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's new creation. The old things have passed away. New things have come. But the idea here is there's a, there's a new life in Christ. Matter of fact, if you came here to church, we're so glad that you're here today at Calvary Church Santa Ana. Maybe you came here to church because you've had a difficult few weeks and you're ready to turn over a new leaf. And we're glad you're here. We're glad you're watching online. But what I want to say to you is the message of Christianity is not that you turn over a new leaf. It's that you'd receive a new life, that you'd receive by grace and through faith the good news of the gospel and trust and follow Jesus. So the new birth's not a new leaf. It's a new creation. Personally, you are made new in Christ, but it's also a new community corporately. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But don't pass over verses 16 to get to verse 17. It says in verse 16, it tells us that we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. We have a new way of viewing others, and if the moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on, maybe we need to be reminded about having a new view, a new set of lenses through which we see the world. You see, the world wants to shape you to view others in accordance with its own lenses, right? And far too many people, Christians too, are being swept up in seeing others not through the lenses of the gospel, but the lenses of the world. Far too many are being discipled by their cable news choices. They're being spiritually shaped by their social media. And what happens then is, is they're not seeing people and others through a gospel lens. They're not seeing people, others, through the lens that comes through Christ. It says, so we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. We've got a, a new life, that's verse 17, but we've got a new way of viewing, a new way of looking in verse 16. Even now we see Jesus has changed, right? So the old is gone, the new has come, the new nature, that new nature is connected to our new way of viewing things. Again, if you if you look at verse 17, it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. What means? Well, seeing people differently. So we got a new life, a new way of looking, a new set of lenses through which we see the world and other people. Let me say it again. We got a new life. It's connected to a new way of looking, a new set of lenses through which we see others and the world. So we don't want to be shaped by the world's view of seeing others. Again, we want to have a new life, a new way of looking, a new set of lenses through which we see the world. I'm wearing lenses right now. I see some of you are wearing lenses right now. Maybe when you were a kid, maybe they called you four eyes. Like when I was a kid, they called me four eyes. Uh, I still remember the time my mother came back with me from the eye doctor and told me about my new glasses. She said to me, she called me Eddie, and you may not. She said, Eddie, <laughs> your childhood nicknames you move on from. So she said, Eddie, um, she, we just got back home from the eye doctor. I grew up on Long Island outside of New York City. I'm a New Yorker. You got a problem with that? Forget about it. So I came home from the eye doctor, and my mom said, Eddie, here's her word. You're going to get to wear new glasses. 
get to, she said. I immediately noticed that because I was horrified at the concept of wearing new glasses. My mother said, you're going to get to wear glasses. And I said, Mom, Mom, the kids are going to be merciless. They're all going to make fun of me. I don't want to wear glasses. She said, no, 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 they won't make fun of you. I mean, she, she tried to convince me otherwise. And then she broke the rest of the news to me. She said, Eddie, you're actually also going to get to wear an eye patch with your new glasses. I said, Mom, they're going to make fun of me. She said, they're not going to make fun of you, Eddie. They're going to think you're a pirate. I think it was that day that I realized that my mother did not always tell me the truth as a child. I was mortified at the idea. And they did. I went to school and they made fun of me and I remember it quite well. So it was just a few years ago, my daughter, I have three daughters, they're 18, 21, and 24, the great joy of my life and also a request for intercessory prayer. <laughs> so, um, so my youngest daughter, who's a student at Biola University right now, she actually went to Biola University. I'm a professor and a dean at Wheaton College for three more weeks before I start at Biola. She went to Biola University because she said to mom and dad, I really love you guys. We're super close, but I need to kind of, I need to kind of get away and go to a college a little bit of a distance so I can kind of be my own person in the other side of the country. So about a year later, I sat her down and said, guess what? We're coming too. <laughs> She's doing all right. She's doing all right now. So my youngest daughter, when she was a middle schooler, we're super close to her, right? She's, she's the youngest, you know, so, so but when she's a middle schooler, she comes home from the eye doctor with Donna, my wife. And Donna takes me into the kitchen and she puts her hand on my arm, which means I need to pay particular attention to what she's about to say. It's kind of a verbal signal, kind of a, a signal for verbal things to follow. So she says, Ed, she says, listen. Caitlin's gonna be getting glasses. I do not want you to overreact about this. And I'm shocked. Me? Overreact? Why would I overreact? So I, I went into dad mode. Some of you are familiar with dad mode. And I kind of walked in, sauntered in really. I sauntered into the other room and said, hey, Caitlin, I hear you're gonna get to wear glasses. I even heard those words coming out of my mouth. There's the dad mode, just like my mom had mom mode. And so, so she, but she sees right through it, right? So, you know, she's a middle schooler. She's not allowed to roll her eyes at her parents, but she seems to have the ability to do that verbally without moving her eye sockets. So she says, dad, I mean, you can feel the eye roll without the movements. She says, dad, listen. She said, kids today, they like wearing glasses. He said, Dad, Dad, I have friends who've been going up to Walgreens to buy glasses without prescriptions, just the frames and glass lenses, because some of you are nodding, you knew this, because glasses are cool today. I'm stunned by this reality, and I'm happy for her and still simultaneously bitter for my own childhood experiences. <laughs> You see, I don't wear glasses for fashion. I wear glasses for seeing. I need them as lenses to see the world properly. If I don't have my glasses on, you're not here. <laughs> if I put them on, hello, Calvary Church, Santa Ana. So, but, so here's the challenge, right? So I wear glasses for, for seeing. I don't wear glasses for fashion. And when I get to talking, they sort of get knocked around. And, and when they get too far down my nose, I can't see you and I got to i got to adjust my lenses. As a matter of fact, part of what I hope we can do today 
It's adjust our lenses so we can rightfully see the world and people because we've got a new life, a new set of lenses, a new way of looking at the world around us. But I do adjust my glasses, and that led to a conversation once. I was the, uh, I was the interim uh, teaching pastor for a church in Chicago uh, called the Moody Church. So you've heard of the Moody Church. My daughters thought that was a funny name for a church. Are we happy some Sundays and unhappy other Sundays? <laughs> but it was actually named after, of course, D.L. Moody. And I, I was the interim teaching pastor there for four years. Nobody should be the interim of anything for four years, but I was. I was the pastor there for longer than four of their actual pastors were the pastor of Moody Church. And you've been to Moody Church over the years? You've been to Chicago? I see some hands. Yeah, sure. Um, so it's a wonderful, beautiful church, historic church that people have been in and out of for decades, for over 150 years, uh, founded by D.L. Moody, pastored by people like Harry Ironside and Warren Wiersbe and Erwin Lutzer. So I just filling in as the interim, and it was a wonderful church. And, but here's the thing. There's all kinds of, of, of people who watch the church online for decades, right? Well, decades, yeah, I think probably, yeah, because they had a radio ministry, a TV ministry. So I was there just filling in, and I, I was supposed to be there for six months, and it turned into a year. And so I, I, I said, well, let's make a few changes, not anything major. So, for example, we, we actually went with a table like this, which turned out not everyone appreciated a table like this. I like a table. I got my Bible on it. I can preach the Bible. Um, but so, so sometimes people would send in letters. They'd be unhappy, and, they, and they would, we would sometimes say, you know, because I'm just the interim. Here's the great thing about being in the interim. You don't have to keep doing anything that I changed while I'm in the interim. So I made a few minor changes here or there. But occasionally we got letters, most of them super happy, very communicative congregation. But occasionally we got this, this one-off complaint letter. And then one day we got the greatest complaint letter in the history of my service there at the Moody Church. Matter of fact, I liked it so much, I got it on my phone. They forwarded it to me with a smiley face. And so I, uh, so I got it on my phone and I, I screenshot it because I love this. This guy signed his name, which I think is great, right? Don't read him if they don't sign their name. He signed his name. Now, again, he wasn't from Moody Church, but probably 50 years ago, he had attended Moody Bible Institute there. He lived in, I think, Alabama then, and he sent me uh, a letter. And so I took a screenshot of it. I edited out the part where it says, you know, Dear Pastor Ed, and I edited out the part where he signed it, but I have brought it to you today, unedited, to share with you. Let's take a look at the screen. Let me read it to you. Here's what it says. I listened to your August 13th sermon at Moody Church Online. After listening to it once, praise God, he's listened more than once. It says, I listened again because I was awestruck. It gets better with the number of times you adjusted your glasses while preaching. <laughs> so the second time in your sermon, the second time I listened, I saw in the first 36 minutes of your sermon. Some of you are alarmed by the phrase, first 36 minutes of your sermon. <laughs> Stay with me. It's Moody Church, right? I saw you adjust your glasses 74 times, and then you took the, you hear the passion, and then you took them off, so I did count it no further. <laughs> then he gets a calculator. This would be an average of once every 30 seconds. But the passion's still there, but keep in mind this was an incomplete count, because some of the time your sermon was on the screen and I could not see you. Can you feel the passion? This is so awesome. I tell you this in Christian love. They all said that, even those that weren't. 
because I know you're interested in being aware of anything that might distract listeners from hearing what you're teaching and preaching. So I hope, here's the passion, you will accept this knowing I want your ministry to be as effective for Christ as possible. I don't wear glasses for fashion, I wear glasses for seeing. And when I get excited, my head moves around, they move, and then they're out of focus, they're out of focus, they're not accomplishing their objective. And sisters and brothers, can I just say, the last few years in our culture have been a difficult one. People have been knocked about and tossed about, we're in a time of tumult and turbulence, the world's moving away from basic biblical values day by day by day. Simultaneously, Christians are unsure how to respond, right? Should we be shaped by talk radio? Should we be shaped by our cable news? Or should there be something else that causes us to readjust our lenses? Here it is, we've got a new life. We got a new way of looking. We got a new set of gospel lenses through which we see the world. And the writer of Hebrews says to provoke one another to love and good deeds. And maybe in some small way, I might provoke you today to remember to readjust your gospel lenses so you see the world and other people the way Jesus wants you to see them. You tracking with me? All right. We got a new life. We got a new way of looking, a new set of gospel lenses through which we see the world. Number one. Number two, we're sent on a mission of reconciliation. Let me continue to read the passage. It says this beginning at verse 18. It says, And all this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. He reconciled us, brought us back, is translated in other translations as reconciled us. All this is from God who brought us back or reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he had given us the task of reconciling people to him. Don't miss that. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. I hope you see the pattern. We have been reconciled to become agents of gospel reconciliation. Right, so you can see it here, it's two times, it's repeated twice. Uh, New Testament writers sometimes engage in what's called parallelism, where they say something similar to remind you, to help focus you on importance of this passage. So we see two times, we've been reconciled to be, have the message of reconciliation. We've been reconciled, we have the ministry of reconciliation, right? There's a reality, somebody told you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe it was your parents, maybe it was a friend. Maybe he was a neighbor. Maybe he was a coworker. Maybe he was one of your kids. But somebody told you the good news of Jesus Christ, right? And somebody told them. And somebody told that person and told that person and told that person. And it goes back 2,000 years to when Jesus said to his disciples, go make disciples of all nations. And they told someone and they told somebody and they told somebody and then somebody told you. Now my exhortation to you today is if you've got a new life, a new way of looking, a new set of lenses through which you see the world and people, a part of what you might see is if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been reconciled to God through the death of Christ on the cross for your sin and in your place. And don't just end it there, but be on a, an agent of gospel reconciliation in the world. 
showing and sharing the love of Jesus. Just a few minutes ago, we heard about a people group now having a Bible, a translation, more information in their language, another ethno-linguistic people group. Why? Because somebody needs to translate the Bible and then minister to people as a missionary to show and share the love of Jesus. And why would they do such a thing? Because somebody told them and somebody told that person and told that person. They want to continue that as missionaries. And you too can be on mission as a follower of Jesus. I hope you've heard us talk about here this neighbor good, right? So neighbor good, just getting started, you can still have time to get engaged and involved. And, and for, for neighbor good, you can actually join Jesus on mission in your neighborhood. So from our nations to our neighbors, we want to join Jesus on his mission of reconciliation in the world. And don't let it end with you. Don't let it end with our church, right? So we want our church to be on mission, as Calvary Church has a legendary reputation for, for being. So um, I live right now in Chicagoland, and um, hopefully will not be living there in a month, but that really depends on some of you in your neighborhoods. If I've put an offer in on your house, you need to say yes to it, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> um, and it's really cold there. It has really nothing to do with the fact that why I'm leaving freezing cold Chicago to come to sunny happiness, Southern California. I'm sure it's totally coincidental, though I really need to understand what this June gloom is, but that's another story for another day. So it gets cold there. So one day in February, Donna and I were, I was planning a trip to go to Fort Lauderdale. Now in February, I mean, it really gets cold. One February, Three years ago in Chicago, the temperature got to minus 27 degrees Fahrenheit. Not wind chill, that's actual temperature, right? I think that was the day I decided to come to Biola, but that's another story for another day. I mean, it's cold there. So I'm going down to speak at a conference in Fort Lauderdale, so Donna finds out and says, I'm coming too. So we call our Uber, right? And our Uber driver comes, her name's Jane, says so on the app. So she pulls up to us, pulls up in the car, she picks us up. Um, she says to me as we get in the car, hi, Ed, my name's on her app, and, uh, and, and Donna introduces herself. We get in the car, and we're headed to O'Hare Airport. It's about 30 minutes to get to the airport from our house. So Jane starts talking to us, and is, well, why, right as we get in, we notice Jane's super friendly, but that's not uncommon for uh, an Uber driver because they're trying to earn that five rating, right? If you've driven Uber, you know about that. But also as we got in, you know, Jane says, hey, listen, there's, there's electrical plugs behind the seats. There's, uh, there's water if you'd like it and take anything you want from the basket in the middle. So in the middle, right on the floor, there was a basket of candies and strategically and obviously placed a New Testament of the Bible. So um, I smiled, I looked at Donna, and I had a whole conversation with her without actually using words. See, we've been married for 35 years, uh, verbal words are no longer required in some situations. So I looked over to her and I said, hey, little smirk, little, little grim, grin, uh, grin. I said, hey, let's have a little fun with this. Let's not say anything right away and let's just have a little fun with this. And she looked back at me and she said, okay, Ed Stetzer, but I know you don't take it too far. All that took place without any words being exchanged. <laughs> Some of you have had that conversation, right? So Jane starts saying, so where are you guys from? And I said, I'm from New York City. And Donna's from, Donna said she's from Canada. Uh, you know, what about your family? And so we have three amazing daughters and, and, you know, she kept asking questions and asking about our family and then about our interests. And then she kind of asked a uh, kind of an exploratory question. Now she asked different things beforehand. She says at one point, 
so what brought you to town? I said, well, my job did. I came here for my job. And, and, uh, and, and then she said, well, what do you do? And I, I mean, I'd kind of give it away if I said, you know, I was the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. So, so I said, well, I'm a teacher because I'm a professor, right? So I'm a teacher. What do you do? Quickly change the subject. She said, well, I'm a realtor uh, when it's not February. Nobody's buying houses in Chicago. Uh, so I said, it's great. And so eventually she says to us, so do you guys have any, she's doing, she's leading us to a conversation. Do you guys have any, any religious background or any spiritual beliefs? I was super, right? So, so at that point, Donna looked at me and said, that's far enough. You have to tell her. I mean, without speaking, there were no words exchanged. Um, God, I didn't lie at all. I just said, no, I'm a teacher. What about you? So she said, so do you guys have any spiritual beliefs? And I leaned forward and said, Jane, yes, we do. We're actually we're Christians. We're followers of Jesus. Matter of fact, I actually teach evangelism at the Wheaton College Graduate School, and you are doing so great right now. A plus for you. And we laughed, and, and I actually said to her, Jane, can I record an interview with you right now? And I turned on my phone, my voice memo, and you can actually find it if you're interested. Just Google Jane, not during my sermon, but Jane the Uber driver. You Google Jane the Uber driver, the interview got picked up all kinds of places. So we went down and she, she, she shared, we went down to Florida, but she shared that uh, when she's not busy as a realtor, she drives Uber and wants to meet people and tell them about Jesus when she has the opportunity to do so. You see, see, Jane knew that somebody told her and she wants to tell somebody else and she wants to continue. This Great Commission Highway goes back 2,000 years. So I flew down to Fort Lauderdale with Donna. The next morning, woke up, my phone blows up with texts because Billy Graham has died. Some of you remember that day, very significant obviously for us. Billy Graham is our best known graduate of Wheaton College. Um, fast forward about 10 days later, we're all under this tent in Charlotte, North Carolina, Billy Graham's funeral. Someone from, all the reporters are there for after the funeral, the reporter comes up to me uh, from the New York Times actually, and Lori's her name, and she says, Dr. Stetzer, she calls me, Dr. Stetzer, just some questions about Billy Graham. What do you think his legacy was? I answered that, what do you, uh, you know, who's the next Billy Graham? She asked a bunch of questions, but one of them was, who's the next Billy Graham? And nobody claims to be the next Billy Graham. Nobody in the family does. Uh, nobody uses that language. I think it's wise not to use that language. He was a unique man God used. Probably many of you have a story, or your parents or your grandparents do, about Billy Graham's impact in your life. But I was kind of ready for the question. So Lori said, so who's the next Billy Graham? And I said, Jane the Uber driver is the next Billy Graham. I mean, it was just nine days before, and, and she looked at me with a funny look, and I told the story, and she says, that's a great story, but it's not making the New York Times. I... <laughs> but here's the thing I don't want you to miss, right? right? Because somebody told somebody, somebody, there's this great commission highway that Billy Graham was on, right? So Billy Graham grew in a Christian home, but he points to Mordecai Ham being the person who shared the gospel with him, and somebody told the gospel to Mordecai Ham, who told somebody, somebody told them all the way back. And what I want to say to you as followers of Jesus in 2023, if we're on a Great Commission highway, just like Billy Graham is, just like Jane the Uber driver is, what I'm saying to you personally is don't let your life be a cul-de-sac on God's Great Commission highway. You can right now say, I want to I wanna be a part of neighborhood and I want to make a difference for the gospel. I want to I be in a community that shows and shares the love of Jesus. Number one, we get a new perspective. Number two, sent on a mission of reconciliation. Number three, representing Jesus and his kingdom. Representing Jesus and his kingdom. So the passage goes on and it speaks to us. It says, 
So we are, this is verse 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Paul's actually not talking about you in that moment. I'm going to apply it in just a moment, but he's talking about himself and this group of missionaries that he's with, and he's defending his apostleship to the church at Corinth. But for 2,000 years, Christians have applied that to themselves. I'll explain why in just a minute. It says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God, right? So, or be, we, you come back to God, right? We speak to you for Christ. We plead, come back to God. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. And the word ambassador is only used twice in our English Bible, uh, once here and once in Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul writes and he says, I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. So we're ambassadors because we're citizens of the kingdom. Now, Paul's not specifically referring to us, but in Ephesians chapter 6, he speaks to himself, of himself as an ambassador in chains. If you're a follower of Jesus, Colossians 1.14 says you have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So now you're in the kingdom. You're a citizen. This is not your home. You want to see the world because you've got a new life, a new way of looking, a new set of lenses. You want to see the world through the eyes of a citizen of the kingdom, which makes you an ambassador to the world. And your church is, in a sense, an embassy, right? It's an embassy. So Calvary Church Santa Ana is an embassy. When you're here, when you're part of this, we're an embassy of the kingdom of God in this part of Orange County and beyond. But we're sending out other ambassadors to establish embassies around the world. But also, too, you want to be on mission with others in that, in that embassy. You heard this a few minutes ago, and you know, after the service, we're going to have the opportunity for you to be connected with a life group. Well, I, I don't know about you, but one of my favorite parts of the service thus far is when we saw the three pastors talk about their relationship from college forward. Now, maybe that's because I'm the new, one of the new deans at Biola University, and they became friends at Biola University. But here's the thing. I want you as a citizen of the kingdom to be an ambassador for Jesus to get together with other people in something like a life group and be an embassy for the gospel and the kingdom in your neighborhood. Why? Because you see people and the world differently. The moment we're in does not pause the mission we are on. So, number one, we, we get a new perspective, a new life connected to a new way of looking, a new set of gospel lenses through which we see the world. Number two, Sent on a mission of reconciliation. We've been reconciled to then share the message of reconciliation, not letting our lives be a cul-de-sac on God's great commission highway. Number three, representing Jesus and his kingdom as ambassadors, partnering together with others in embassies to advance the kingdom. Number four, and finally, and I'll, and I'll close with this. You know what it means when a guest speaker says, I'll close with this? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> like, what are you going to do, right? So... Uh, number four, and finally, because of the cross. Let's, let's, look, let's look at verse 21. It's actually very different than the verses that follow. It says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us. So our sin was laid upon him. He Technically, theologically, this is called the doctrine of imputation. Would you say that word with me together? Let's say it together. Imputation. Listen, I believe if you can learn to order coffee at Starbucks, you can learn some theological words at church. Let's say it again. 
Imputation. So our sins were imputed to Christ so that his righteousness could be imputed to us. It's, it, the word in Greek is, is like the word deposit. Like, so, so our sins were deposited in Christ. He wasn't a sinner, but he died a sinner's death, right? God treated Jesus as if he had committed every sin so that believers could be seen by God as having lived Jesus' perfect life. It's not on the screen, but Isaiah 53, 6 says it this way. All we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. All our sin and all our guilt was imputed to him so that his righteousness could be imputed to us. But the obvious question is, Ed, what does that have to do with the rest of the passage? Right? If thus far it's been, we get a new perspective, right? We got a new life connected to a new way of, of looking, a new set of lenses through which we see the world. What, what does that have to do with being sent on a mission of reconciliation? You, as a follower of Jesus, have been reconciled to God and given the ministry and message of reconciliation. What does that have to do with being an ambassador, where you represent Jesus and his kingdom well, setting up the advance of the kingdom and the establishment of embassies through life groups and churches? What does that have to do with the rest? Well, I think this is a theological turn in the passage that points us to the motivation of everything that proceeds. Because I want you not to miss this, right? When you get what Jesus did dying on the cross for your sin and in your place, when you understand when he cried out on that cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When you get when he cried out, it is finished, and what that means is he defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave. When you get the beauty and the enormity of the work of Christ in the gospel, you will live as one who's been changed by the work of Christ and the gospel. Now, I want you not to miss that, because our world is a mess right now. And what we need is followers of Jesus who are living the Jesus way, engaging the world around them in faithful, loving, fruitful, honest, courageous, convictional, and compassionate ways. One of the things I love about your church, I've gotten to know your pastor and we're getting to know some more about, I know you all already knew your, your history, but you get to know some about Eric and the journey and, the, and how God's at work in this church. I just want to say to you, I'm so thankful to be able to stand before you and just encourage you in something that so many are already doing. If you're not, I want to join the team here at Calvary Church Santa Ana, and I want to invite you to join Jesus on mission. You've already heard two ways to do that already, right? Join us in neighborhood. Uh, get engaged in a life group so you can be part of an embassy that's living on mission. But for all of us, I want us to come back to the beauty of the cross. Let me read it again. It says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And that being made right is central to the Christian faith and message. It's also central to the kind of things that Christians participate in and celebrate together in our gathered worship. Because it says things like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord from himself. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you've never been to church before, you may have an awareness that as we gather together, and if you're guest at Calvary Church Santa Ana, I want you to be aware, as we gather together, we celebrate something called the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is a celebration of the death of Jesus. 
We think the death of Jesus is so important and so essential, we call the day he died Good Friday. Now, it's made good because on that Easter Sunday, God raised him from the dead on the third day. And, but before he died on the cross for our sin and in our place, he actually told us to, to remember and to participate in something called the Lord's Supper. We call sometimes communion or the Eucharist. It says, on the night we have betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he gave thanks for it and then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He did the same way after supper, taking the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he says, for every time you eat the bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. I want you to miss this. That means... That between the first coming, the death, burial, resurrection, and ultimately ascension to to his Father, from the first coming to the second coming is the time in which we partake in the Lord's Supper. And as we partake in the Lord's Supper, we remember the death of Jesus. And in remembering the death of Jesus, we remember how he died on the cross for our sin and in our place. The part I want to push you and encourage you towards today is to remember that he also sends you on mission in his name. So we have bread and we have the cup at stations. And uh, you may have already picked some up or you have the opportunity to come receive them as well. You'll see the stations here and the stations here. I want to invite you ultimately to take time to reflect and confess. Here's why. Let me read the next verse. It says, so anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Now, what would it mean? to partake in an unworthy manner. Here's what it might mean. If you have unrepentant sin in your life, so if there's sin in your life that you won't let go of, that you just refuse to address, you want to not partake in the Lord's Supper today. I don't want to invite you to participate in something that ends up with you sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. You say, then Ed, how can anyone participate? Because we all have sin in our life. That's the great news. Jesus' death on the cross for our sin and in our place, he promises us if we confess our sins. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from most unrighteousness. Oh, it says cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can today ask forgiveness of your sin, be cleansed of all unrighteousness and partake, not in your own goodness or greatness, but because of God's grace and in Jesus' goodness, his righteousness has been imputed to you as a follower of Jesus. So in just a moment, we're going to give you the opportunity to prepare your heart. You may need to confess some sin. You may need to Uh, decide to address a broken relationship that is at work that's causing you to be out of right relationship and need for reconciliation. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I also want to say to you that this celebration is actually not yet for you. I want to invite you to receive by grace and through faith the good news of the gospel, to trust and follow Jesus, to receive that new life I talked at the beginning. From there, then you can in the future receive the Lord's Supper together. So Pastor Eric's going to come. I'm going to give us an opportunity just to pray. And as we pray, we're going to prepare for the Lord's Supper together. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we come before you today. We acknowledge and prepare our hearts to partake in the Lord's Supper this day. Lord, where there's sin that needs to be forgiven, cleanse us. We bring that sin before you. Father, for those who may not know you, Father, I I pray that even now your Holy Spirit be convicting them and drawing them to you. 
And if that's you today, you can receive by grace and through faith the good news of that gospel. You can trust and follow him. Just make it your prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart, Jesus. I want you to be my Savior. I trust and follow you as Lord. Father, I pray for all of us in the quietness of this moment that we take these moments to prepare to partake in this Lord's Supper moment together. Just take a few moments. The piano will play quietly. You'll just prepare your heart, and then Pastor Eric will come and lead us and partake in the Lord's Supper together.